Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with series producer of BBC drama Doctors, Peter Lloyd. Before we get to the conversation, I'd just like to play you a bit of this. It's my new song, A Lover or a Friend, which is only available to download and stream on Bandcamp. I've chosen Bandcamp because I feel they're the best streaming site, and they've also done a lot to help artists during the pandemic. Find more information about this song and the other projects that I'm working on at robertlanemusic.co.uk. Thank you. A lover or a friend Someone to tell your lies to now That the night has grown so cold A keepsake or a lamp It makes no difference to you now That your heart has been I'm on a mission to help you unlock your creativity. I'm sharing my journey as a musician, actor and writer, as well as offering online content like guitar and songwriting tutorials and chat about creativity. I'm doing this because I know how important creativity is for mental health and I believe everyone has a creative spirit. I want to help you find yours. Join me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. Thank you. Hi Peter, how are you? Good morning, Robert. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Enjoying sunshine, although not exactly warm, but sunshine on a, a formerly bank holiday weekend. How about you? Have you been up to anything exciting? Uh, no, not really. I'm considering painting my bedroom, uh, but that's it. That's my Easter. Bit of um, housework. Good. And is that sort of an <laughs> home improvements and stuff? Is that an unusual thing for you to have time to do? Does it require a bank holiday to be able to do that? Or is it a way that you... You just forget about work for a bit fairly regularly. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, I'm not a huge home home improvement person, but I do find it is a, a good distraction from work. It helps you forget all that for a few days. Yeah, and do you find as well that if you're doing something outside of being creative or whatever I don't for me it's doing the dishes if I don't listen to music and I don't have anything on I'm washing up or maybe in the shower or stuff sometimes those little ideas will pop up almost uninvited in a way that they don't if you're sat trying to think of things yeah absolutely distraction technique is always useful and I tend to like to sleep on something as well if I have an idea I let it percolate at least overnight but a few nights if I've got the time because um, then you can sort of pull at the threads and see what works and what doesn't what's the sort of perfect setup for for creativity or for writing or for thinking of new ideas then um what's the setup at home and how easy is that to to have achieved certainly over the last year in the weird situations that we all found ourselves in normally it's about bouncing off other people i find that you have a germ of an idea and then you run it past other people and of course 
it's been very difficult to do that this year, although we've done it in a much smaller extent. Um, I found that getting outside, I mean, I know that's pretty much what everyone's been saying this past year, uh, and just changing your environment, getting some exercise, looking at nature, just basic stuff like that can help. Um, but we have managed, I mean, Zoom has saved us, really, uh, so that we can communicate with each other and come up with ideas uh, via that. It's not as great as being in the same room as people. Um, and when when it's been allowed, we have met in small groups, um, and that always helps. But for inspira inspiration, it's just giving your, your brain time to to work it through and explore all the avenues. Um, the worst time is when you have to come up with something quickly, although I have done that recently um, out of necessity. But it, it, I, I, my brain needs more time. And how about deadlines then? Because I know there are people who, what's the Douglas Adams quote? I love deadlines. I like the sound they make as they go rushing past. Um, <laughs> so people respond really well to, you've got to get that done by this day. Other people, not so much. How about you? I don't have any choice. My life is governed by deadlines because we are producing so many episodes. We have to supply production with three scripts, sometimes six scripts a week. Um, and there's no stopping that. I mean, there's a little bit of leeway, um, but you can't just say, no, forget all that. Let's change everything. Because yeah. it causes absolute chaos. It costs a lot of money, which we don't have. Um, and so I'm used to it. That's, that's what I've been used to for, for the last 10 years or so. Um, I have worked on other shows, in my previous work jobs and there there has been more time but I found sometimes that that can just give you too many ideas and too many possibilities and so you don't end up focusing on anything um, so actually I'm quite happy with deadlines and for doctors then how many how many plots or story arcs are kind of percolating in everybody's head at a time and I guess as well how far ahead are you looking at the you know how far ahead in story terms <laughs> are you guys looking usually at Easter we are thinking about Christmas wow. and that's the case at the moment uh, a couple of years ago I did an adaptation of a Christmas carol for doctors and I wrote that over Easter so that tends to be the normal thing um, that you you're kind of nine months ahead in terms of storylining. Uh, and then in terms of filming, we will shoot Christmas in July into August. Um, so it's always the, exactly the wrong time of year to do that. <laughs> so season. you're juggling a lot. You're juggling stuff that you're kind of starting to write in terms of storylines, but you're also thinking about what's about to go into production and then you're thinking about what's actually being transmitted. So there, there are three kind of time zones in your mind at any one time, which um, can get confusing. And how possible is it to change them? Is the stuff that's been filmed at the moment or is about to be filmed, is that set in stone script-wise? Or if somebody has an amazing idea or if there's some outside reason, you know, to change things like, I don't know, a pandemic, how, how easy is it to do that on the fly? Not very easy at all. 
Um, it's it happens sometimes, but only because of some emergency. Whether it's because an actor is ill, mm. um, we have to scramble. Um, but usually, um, we trust our our writers that that once they get to a certain stage in their scripts, that's it, and there are no major changes after that. There might be some production changes in terms of not being able to get into a location, uh, having to move things around a little bit. But as I say, this train is a is a, a determined train and it won't stop and you can't start making major changes really late in production. It just falls apart. Great. I wonder then, Peter, if you could tell us a little bit then about your job title, because I think people sometimes who don't work in an industry, these terms, so in filming terms, you know, director, producer, assistant director, executive producer, you know, it can be a little bit kind of mystifying. So in your point of view then what's a great definition of what your sort of day-to-day role is so i should say on every single program um the my job series producer is different depending on the show itself and the people involved so i'm not a normal series producer but it's partly because of where i've come from i came through editorial and partly because of my relationship with mike hobson who's our exec We've kind of evolved our roles in a very different way that you would find on, say, Casualty or Holby or EastEnders. Um, and that's fine because it works for us. What my role is primarily is to run the creative team. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm ma- mainly concerned with writers, with our storylining, the, the creative aspects of that. Um, I, I kind of write the storylines alongside our script producer. Uh, I work a lot with the actors, the regular actors, who um, there are very few of them. There are only 12. Um, and they, they work incredibly hard, harder than the other shows because there are so few of them. By default, they, they work a lot more. Um, and I deal with casting but a lot of the the time, it, it's the, the co-decisions with Mike about the tone and the direction of the show. Um, and it's a very good relationship that, that works for us, that we've evolved ourselves, as I say. Um, and so it, it's, it's very, it's unique, actually. Um, I don't think I would transfer easily to another show doing the same things because those shows have much bigger creative departments, whereas really it's five script editors, one uh, storyliner and me, and then Mike as well. So that's tiny compared to the large, the large departments that you have on other shows. So it's just about making, making the machine work properly. Mm. And are there advantages and disadvantages to having a small team? Yeah, you can make quick decisions. Um, because there there are fewer layers uh, of people to go through. Um, But you wonder sometimes about the diversity of voices in the Mm -hmm. room and whether you're hearing all aspects of a a subject or whether it's a bit limited, depending on the group that you work with. Uh, And that's something, obviously, we're always trying to do something about. Um, And there, there are further developments about that at the moment. So yeah, I you just want you just want as many different voices um, contributing, and I know that on the other shows they have a much bigger group of people who can give you more angles on the subject. 
Mm, interesting. Would you be able to sort of outline a bit then your path to to doctors and to where you are at the moment mm. then and, and how that came about and some of the other things that you've you've been involved with? Yeah, so I, I started wanting to be an actor um, and went to university and then to drama school and quickly realised it was not for me. Thank God, actually, <laughs> because I would have wasted a lot of years. I didn't have the constitution to be an actor at all. Um, but even though it was devastating at the time when I made the decision, it's actually proved incredibly useful in later life because I understand how actors work and I understand how actors think. Um, and that means that I can talk to them in a way that they get. Um, and it just saves a lot of time. There are a lot of higher ups in this business who, who find actors scary or strange. Uh, and I think they struggle a bit and that's why actors can get quite frustrated. So even though I didn't go down that path, and thank God I didn't, um, it's been very useful. Um, so I kind of floundered for a while and didn't know what to do, and I ended up unpacking fridges for some bizarre reason um, at one point and managed to get a, a tiny job at Pebble Mill. Uh, in the days when Pebble Mill was one of those great buildings that had everything in it, mm. so... Uh, coming in at the ground floor, I could look at all the different types of TV and radio that was made there and start to think about where I wanted to go next. And it's a great shame that those big buildings don't really happen anymore. Mm -hmm. um, everything's divided up. Um, and, you, and as a, a youngster, you have to decide where you want to go now. Uh, and that can be very tricky. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do until I was about into my 30s. So I kind of just grabbed jobs where I could, and I worked in uh, live shows. I worked in news and current affairs, documentaries, just trying to find a direction. Mm. I mean, obviously, there was a very good drama department at Pebble Mill in those days, uh, in the late 80s into the 90s, um, and I was gravitating towards that. Um, but it was fairly brutal. I mean, I, I managed to do some running and some uh, assistant work on some great movies and some uh, short-term serials. But then I got booted out. The work dried up and I ended up in Manchester um, where I had a great time working in children's uh, on a number of children's shows up there. And then they closed down BBC Manchester. <laughs> so uh, I, I kind of floundered again for a little bit, ended back in Birmingham and started working properly in the drama department and uh, got an attachment into the script department um, and then sort of worked my, my, way up, my, sorry, my way up through scripts. But the good thing was that I had a lot of production experience as well. So I worked as a runner and as an AFM and then as a second assistant. And so I was lucky enough to have experience of both the kind of script theory side of things and the practical TV production side. And that's also proved invaluable uh, in working on a show like Doctors, which is by the skin of its teeth most of the time, um, or economically funded, as I should say, officially. And a small um, team as well, which I suppose... 
is there an element of multi-rolling in the team then? And it helps if people, as you say, have, have done different things. Not multi-rolling in the sense that you've got different jobs, but like if you can understand each other's role, it's a bit easier to help each other or to understand, as you mentioned with actors, where people are coming from and what their challenges might be. Yeah, I mean, it's always an advantage. And all three of our current producers have worked in, in production and in editorial and it means that they are much more adept. Mm. Whereas we've had freelance producers over the years who've come from scripts and have no clue about how TV production works, let alone how it works on Doctors. And so have had made some pretty major mistakes as a result of that. Um, so with anything, uh, people getting into TV, just you just have to learn as much as possible about everything. <laughs> uh, I mean, in terms of drama, certainly. Um, it's been incredibly useful uh, and it makes you more skilled uh, and more adaptable and it will help you find solutions to problems. Hmm. That thing you mentioned then about not being an actor and uh, being pleased and not having the constitution, I just wondered then from your point of view, what is the constitution of an actor? What are those things that are an actor needs to be able to deal with and um, I guess you've met a lot of them over the years some who deal with things better than others what makes the what makes it work I think you need to you need to obviously you need to cope with rejection and you need to to try not to take things personally when you don't get a role um, someone said that their job as an actor was to audition uh, which is quite a good attitude to have, actually, if you perfect the way that you audition. I mean, I've auditioned a lot of actors over the years, and some of them are incredibly good at it, and some of them are bloody awful. Um, and I wish that the, they could learn how to do it properly, because it counts an enormous amount just the way you are in a room, mm -hmm. being personable, being able to, to have a bit of uh, small talk. It just makes you... It's a job interview, effectively. And apart from the talent and whether you're right for the role, of course, those things are really important and what get you the job. But also, as a job interview, I want to know that I can work with you, that you are going to be someone who can work as a team um, and will fit in with the people who are already here. That's the thing about an ongoing show like ours, that that's one of the aspects that we are thinking about in an audition. It's not just, oh, they were in this. They'll bring a lot of, uh, you know, uh, following social media. Uh, it's a name we can sell it, which, of course, is a big part of the industry. And a lot of shows have to think about that. But we don't. We find new actors a lot of the time. Um, we've just found one recently uh, who plays uh, Ross, who plays Luca the nurse, and his audition was very, very good. And it wasn't just about how he read the scenes and how he interacted with us in the audition. It was about the fact that he came in and was had a nice chat, had a lot of questions, intelligent questions about the role, um, and it just made a huge difference. Whereas someone else in that audition was so terrified that he had nothing to say and couldn't wait to get out, get out of the room quick enough. And that signaled a problem for me. Um, so you have to have those things, this, the social side as well as the talent. And, you know, 
there's not a huge amount you can do. You've either got the talent or you haven't. And then whether you fit the role or whether you surprise us and you think, oh, that's a different interpretation, but actually that could be quite interesting. Um, there have been a few where someone's walked in and I've known within the first couple of minutes that they're going to get the job. Mm. Uh, just through sheer talent. It's extraordinary sometimes when you see. And it's great to see. Um, but it's hard. It's kind of, it's a little bit uh, nebulous, exactly what it is. You just get a vibe or you get, you just get a vision of, of how they're going to play the role and it just makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's all about teams, isn't it? Whatever we're doing in life, but certainly creative things. You could have the most talented people put them together and they don't come up with much because it's just, it's alchemy. There's just something in that, that yeah. group of people that works and doesn't work. And I suppose when you're the one making the decisions, that's both fascinating and a bit frightening, I guess, <laughs> because you, if you don't know, you don't know, do you, till it works. But, um, another thing that I think everyone would appreciate with doctors as well, you mentioned you'll look for new talent, uh, performance wise and production wise as well. So most of the, directors or writers i've spoken to on the podcast have been through doctors at some point as well which is brilliant because as when you're looking outside you can feel like the industry is quite closed and there's not a sort of proving ground in the way that maybe there has been in the past there's not somewhere to experiment so to have something on most afternoons on mainstream tv that does that is wonderful. Is that a conscious decision from the term in terms of the production to, to do those things, to experiment a bit, to be a little bit freer? Yeah, um, <clears throat> we have to be careful. Um, I'm one. I'm one of the voices in the room that pushes for that. Mm. But I understand uh, that we have to be careful about how and when we do it because sometimes you can just piss a lot of people off. And they go, well, this is not what I'm used to. And I don't like it. And they, they, it's stupid. Um, and we learned, we've learned that over the years about doing various things. But sometimes th th we get these ideas through and they're just too intoxicating. You just, you just have to do them, really, just to have a go and see what it's like. We've just done uh, a two-hander, which is in literally in three acts with um, – Dido Miles and Lucy Benjamin, and it's just the two of them in three rooms um, over the course of an episode. And it's it was very well written. I have to say the writer uh, did have quite a few months to write it because of lockdown. So he he really he really worked hard and, and got it right. Um, but they ate it up. I'm interested to see what the audience will think. They'll probably enjoy it because it's very intense uh, and it's two really great actors working. Um, but we have done some slightly off-the-wall things that haven't gone down quite as well. Uh, it tends to split our audience. You know, Christmas Carol worked really well because we book-ended book, uh, it. So it was part of the show that the, the gang were putting on this uh, performance so that the audience knew it was coming. And it was the Christmas episode, and so it chimed in with all of that, uh, and it worked really well. But there have been other things... Uh, the Jane Austen was very controversial at the time um, because people thought it was too bonkers. Uh, we did a, a rip-off of uh, James Bond a good few years ago, which actually had complaints, I seem to remember. Um, but for those of us in these roles, and a lot of us have been working on the show for a long time, 
to be able to do those things, to be able to do a two-hander for 27 minutes, um, to be able to do a non-linear narrative, to break the walls out of the conventions of what supposedly we're supposed to be, which is mm -hmm. the CDS show, um, it's part of the attraction and it's part of why we're still here. And the same can be said for writers and actors and directors, that they get these slightly odd off-the-wall uh, episodes every so often and they lap it up because it's it's a, a change from a patient comes in has got a problem doctor tries to solve it um, which is our bread and butter you could say I think as well with with soaps and certainly something that is in people's homes most days I would imagine you have a very dedicated following but they're they have an ownership of it yeah because it's part of their life so yeah. that's i guess where some of that comes in if it's not what they want it to be or it, it confounds them a little bit they can be it, it's not just as an episode they haven't enjoyed <laughs> their 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 thing hasn't worked for them that particular day and they can be quite animated about it i suppose yes they do get very cross with us um mm. and they say well this was ridiculous i turned off and then someone else will say well you know they do this every so often and you know we're back to normal tomorrow so calm down um yeah, I mean, as I say, that's why we have to be careful about how and when we do it. Um, but I do, I do think we should have the creative freedom to try those things if, if the idea is strong enough and if it's interesting enough for everyone involved. And sometimes it's out of necessity. I mean, we haven't talked about the lockdown episode, but that was something that we didn't have to do, but we thought, well, let's give it a go. Let's see if we can do it. Let's do an episode over Zoom. Yeah, we shot the lockdown episode um, in quite a strange way, but we were kind of feeling our way with it at the time. Uh, and what we ended up doing was um, testing the actors' facilities, if you like, to see whether the cameras they had, whether it was on uh, mostly on camera phones, whether the quality was good enough. Uh, and then we would be on a, on a Zoom on their laptop to one side, giving them direction and talking to them about, um, you know, shot size and all of those things. And they shot straight into camera um, with having done all of their costume and makeup and all of the, um, the design in their back bedroom, mostly. So it was a very strange thing. We didn't know whether it was going to work, but as we put it together... Uh, it started to make sense, uh, and we're very proud of that, considering the incredible restrictions we had. Um, it turned out to be quite a good episode, I would say. I'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point, but I wondered if I could ask if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast, rating it, and writing a review on your favourite podcast provider. Doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people. It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows the people are listening. Thank you. And let's talk about uh, the last 12 months then. And how much has it changed things? I guess a lot. Um, and with the rules changing every few months in terms of production, has that made things complicated? You mentioned earlier how far ahead things are being planned. Are you having to take into account, well, these are the rules currently and these are the rules for what we're filming, but the rules in six months might be different again? Or is it just been a matter of we're going to work like this until things are normal again? Yeah, it, it's been it's been difficult this, this last year. I mean, first of all, of course, uh, we were all 
put into lockdown. Mm. And so mid-production, so we just had to stop. There were episodes that had almost been finished but had like three scenes left to shoot. Um, and then there were a whole raft of scripts. I think we calculated 60 scripts were in um, pre-production when we went into lockdown. So in terms of pure finance, we had no idea what was going to happen, of course. Um, but we knew that keeping people working, even if it was from home, was going to help. We did stop commissioning scripts for a while. Um, but certainly those writers, those script editors uh, and so on needed to keep working. But of course, were we going to have to change all those scripts or were we just going to write them off, which would have cost a lot of money mm. and start again? Uh, so it took a while for us to work out how this was going to work. And of course, everyone was asking us and we were like, oh, I don't know, ask Boris, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but we made the decision in the end to to start work on those scripts, bearing in mind what we thought was going to be the case, that it would be about social distancing, uh, how we couldn't do any stunts. Uh, we couldn't really do any romances, although we were halfway through a romance at the time, which proved tricky. Um, so yes, we kind of, it was, it was very much a team effort as per usual, you know, uh, Andy Richardson, our production manager was very hot on what was happening in BBC safety and, and what the information was happening there and what they were telling us we couldn't, couldn't do. And then we had to adapt our scripts to fit into those things. Uh, and it has been the same since we started shooting again, uh, last, uh, August, July, August. Um, it's all about social distancing. There are a lot of uh, precautions and procedures that you have to follow. The BBC has been very clear about how that works. Um, and it's very time consuming. The actors love it because they've got more time to work on their scenes oh. because it's so slow. Uh, and every time you need to move a light, everybody has to leave in order at two metres distance <laughs> so that uh, one of the sparks can go in and move a light and they can be adapted. And then everybody has to go back in and they, they do it again. So it's slower um, and we don't produce as many episodes as we would normally, which is why we're only uh, transmitting four a week rather than five at the moment. And it stayed the same. It's been like that ever since. And as I say, we've had to adapt scripts and storylines and we have to think about social distancing right at the beginning. So that's why, apart from Al and Lily, which was the story we were halfway through, um, we haven't had anything romantic happen uh, because nobody can touch each other. Uh, and we haven't had anything particularly violent because nobody can touch each other. You know, it, it's simple as that. Um, and the tricks that some of the other shows have used um, are even more time consuming. And we just don't have the resources to do that. So we've decided to, to tell our stories without getting too close. Or there have been a couple of occasions where we've done locked off shots and uh, clever framing to make it look as though people are closer together than they are. And of course, the other great thing for uh boyfriends and girlfriends and fathers and daughters is uh who are both actors they've got quite a lot of work because when you see yeah. two people all over each other in the show at the moment it's because they're in their own bubble um and they can touch each other so um they've done quite well out of the whole thing 
Yeah, I've certainly noticed that in the emails from the agent that I see. It's like, we're looking for a real family of six people who live together. (laughs) That's not me, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) Great. And that's really cool in a way, though, isn't it? Although it's obviously been a bit of a, probably had its moments, but it's been creative, which is the whole point of of why we're here, isn't it? It's trying to think of new ways and new ideas of doing things. And I guess it's a mix of people have an idea because, oh, we actually did this on a show before. I've heard about this that was done combined with we have to use this brand new piece of technology and this idea nobody's tried and just see if it works. And it's the pandemic has been, for want of a better word, an excuse to try those things, I suppose. Yes. Um, As I say, uh, I mean... if you were on one of the big shows with lots of money, mm. and I don't mean other CDS shows, I mean, uh, you know, big BBC dramas or, or Netflix dramas, they have daily testing that, you know, there, there are some of them go into two week uh, isolation before they step onto the set so that the set and the cast are all bubbled. We can't do that. It just wouldn't be practical. Um, so you have to cut your cloth as always. Yes, there have been some there has been some creative solutions, but I would argue we do that anyway on doctors. And it, actually, this has been quite frustrating. You know, I'm working with with our story producer at the moment, and you know, we have all these ideas and go, well, no, we can't do that, and no, we can't do that because of that. And mm. we've got a wedding coming up, and we have to limit the number of people who can attend simply because they all have to isolate. So there'll all be these people. I mean, it's, wor- it's bad enough at the moment when you, when you see three people and they're all stuck to the spot um, at two metres distance and the audience chuckle to themselves at home. Um, but to have, uh, you know, the whole cast at someone's wedding would be a nightmare. And it would just look really strange, you know, that these, these sort of two metre distance between everybody. So we've had to come up with a creative solution to that. But it's not, that's not great. That's just frustrating. Mm. Uh, And as I say, we deal with enough difficulties and and hurdles as it is. Um, And this is just, uh, sometimes I do sulk and go, well, it's not going to look as good as if we could actually get near each other. Um, So I don't know. The more we do it, I mean, after the exhilaration of actually making the show again, which was brilliant and everybody working. I'm starting to feel now, God knows how many months on, it's getting a little bit frustrating. Yeah. Um, but we'll see what's going to happen. Everyone's going, well, are we going to stop social distancing? I don't know. Could be the rest of the year. Who knows? Yes. And story-wise, you took the decision that the the show was happening some years hence, didn't you? So it was... I think yeah, you have reflected the pandemic at points, but in the general story, is there in a world past it all? Yes, because of the way that um, surgeries changed um, and the fact that a lot of people couldn't see a GP um, or if they did, it was a phone call or it was you had to go via someone else before you could get a phone call with a GP. Obviously, there was so much pressure on the health service at that point. Well, if we had followed that, if we had followed what was happening at that moment, we couldn't make the show. It would all be phone calls. Um, And that's not going to work. We also, as I say, had 60 scripts that were in pre-production, which will all have needed to have changed. 
So we kicked, Mike and I talked about this a lot in those early months uh, and came to the conclusion that if we did a time jump, so if we did not ignore COVID, COVID happened in Leatherbridge, but two years ago. So that we were in a post-COVID world. And yes, we talk about COVID and the strain it had. And we have stories about people who suffered long COVID, who suffered mental health problems, who suffered in terms of their role working for the NHS. Those mm. things are all acknowledged and part of uh, our world. But we weren't doing it day to day because the show is on the whole an optimistic one. It's about healing and to have the audience seeing masks and distancing and talking about death and misery and illness every day would have been against the show's tone. And that's why we went with what we did, which was to do a time jump. It also meant, of course, that we could use those scripts that had all been in pre-production. Um, but I think in terms of in terms of the tone and the vision of the show, it was the right decision to make um, because then we were not denying it, but we were moving on from it. Um, and I know the other shows couldn't do that and had to had to sort of acknowledge it. And, uh, you know, Casualty did an amazing episode about the strain on, on their hospital during the worst period. Um, but for us, it would just have been lots of phone calls and, I think we would have lost the audience completely had we done that. Mm. Great. Um, you'd mentioned at the start then uh, your sort of routine through Pebble Mill and those sorts of things. And I, I just wondered, is it easier now or harder now to sort of come into this industry? And as part of that, the fact that people can make stuff themselves – whether anyone sees it or not is a different question, but the fact that people can produce their own things and get them out in the world, how much is a, how much of a difference has that made? I don't think it's harder or more difficult. I think it's different. Uh, you're right that people, certainly uh, actors and directors and, and writers, can do their own stuff cheaply and easily now and show off their talents. Um and that's fantastic because you can find someone via YouTube or Venmo or, or whatever uh, way you can find them. And it's it's a great way to find talent that you wouldn't normally have found. Um, it's so scattered, this business. Um, and it's I do feel for, for young people who want to get into telly or radio but haven't any idea how, that's always the question you get asked. Um, and there aren't those those big major centres like Pebble Mill anymore. Um, what I would say is try and get in at the ground level. If you're um, if you're a diverse person, however you want to see yourself, uh, the BBC is desperate for you. Um, so try and find those routes in because um, obviously diversity is a huge thing now uh, about bloody time. Um, and we do need those different voices in the corporation. Uh, and so there are lots of uh, ways into to the BBC via that. But there are others at uh, ITV and Netflix and so on. Everybody's doing it. So 
uh, if you're non-diverse, it, it, it still might be pretty tricky. But it's about it's about trying to meet people rather than just emailing because I can't tell you how many emails I get, and sometimes you've got time to answer them, and sometimes you just haven't. Um, it, it's good to meet people. Uh, try and get some shadowing in an area you think you might be good at or might be interested in. Um, and once you're in that role, whether it be a secretarial or a runner role, it's just absorb as much as you can and ask, I mean, don't piss people off, but ask questions, find out what do you do? How do, how do you get into that? Oh, that looks interesting. Um those people are the ones who get on because they, they're starting to feel their way in the industry. And of course, it might be that you come onto our show as a runner and go, I don't want to do any of these jobs. None of this interests me. And you can quickly move on. But at least you can establish some contacts with cameras, say, and get uh, try and get work as an assistant on the documentary because you might be more interested in that. So it's about getting in and then making the most of it rather than just yawning uh, and sighing a lot and saying well I'm, I'm tired of making cups of tea for actors all day I did that for almost three years and it was invaluable because I had the right attitude because I knew that I had a lot to learn and I could slowly see where I wanted to go in the business I guess at some point as well the, the thing with that is be interested in it like this, you know, I think it's quite oh, yeah. quite often as creators it can get to the, certainly if you're a how would you put it, a freelance or, you know, trying to turn over your own money all the time from it. I think there is a danger of getting to the point where it's your job and and you can get a little bit, if things aren't going brilliantly, you can get a little bit, um, how much I want to say this? Like for me, with with because I, I act and I'm a musician, so, you know, you get to, you think, three months, I haven't played the guitar for pleasure. I've only yeah. played the guitar for the bit. Well, I'm supposed to like this, aren't I? And then you have this lovely moment where you play for a bit. And you're like, oh yeah, guitars are cool. And it's the same with all that stuff. You can be watching films and TV purely for the point of view of, oh well, who's made that? How's that worked? What's the technical element there? You think, well, you should watch films because you enjoy them. So I think there's the best attitude from what you've said there is be interested in the thing that you're trying to get into because it's too bloody hard otherwise, I suppose. Absolutely. But you could say that about anything. Mm. I mean, any any job in any industry, you've got to want to do it. I mean, of course, we're lucky that we're doing a job that we love and that we enjoy most of the time. Would rather not do as much management as I have to do but anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I went back to, to my old school a, a few years ago as, as a kind of leavers thing. Uh, and that was my main point, is some, find something you enjoy doing, as long mm. as it doesn't hurt anyone else, and doesn't break the law, um, <laughs> and try and make that into your job, because it makes such a difference. And yes, this this um, industry burns people up, and there have been a number of people I've known across the years who've gone, I just don't want to do this anymore. And as you say, it's because they've lost interest, or they can't see where else they want to go, and they've had enough. And leaving is the perfect thing to do is the right thing to do um because it's your life and you've got to you've got to do something else that fulfills you so yeah i th i think it's it's incredibly important and you can't just do the job because it bring pays the mortgage or pays the rent because there are other people coming up behind you who are really passionate about mm. being a director or being a producer and 
they will overtake you and trample you um, because their want is much stronger than yours. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an industry that's full of very passionate people um, who feel very strongly about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, and I think if you lose that, then it might be time to turn away and try something else. Mm. A final thought then, I just wondered from your point of view, how the streaming and all these different companies that are that have been so successful now, has that changed or is it changing the role of terrestrial television and the BBC? And yes. is that for good or for bad or a bit of both? There is a quiver of fear running through uh, the traditional TV companies now. Um, and they've got to adapt. It's sink or swim. Um, and I know that uh, my colleague, Will Trotter, who I've worked with uh, for a number of years, is already uh, selling stuff to um, streaming platforms. Um, you know, his show, Father Brown, is now uh, shown on Netflix um, and so the BBC knows that it has to start doing that and is already doing it, to be fair. Um, BBC Studios, which is the commercial arm, um, is, has been doing that for, for a long time, but it just needs to do more of it because mm. you worry about those smaller shows which don't sell internationally, like mine. Mine doesn't really. It, it is shown in some countries, but it's not a big seller like Father Brown is. Um, so you worry about that. But... The BBC is in this very strange position where it has to deliver to the British public. I mean, after all, they are the ones who pay the fees. Um, and so it's important that local radio is still there for those people who need it. It's important that a show like mine is there for, for people who need it. Um, so the BBC is splitting itself a little bit in terms of trying to compete with Netflix um, and needing huge budgets in order to do that which the BBC doesn't have, but they're very clever about getting co-production, so they can get the money to do that, um, but also serving the British people and local communities. And I think that's the unique thing, um, is that nobody else is doing that um, across the board. Um, and it's what makes the BBC so unique uh, around the world, actually. So it's about adaptation. Um, and of course, uh, the BBC is full of plans for this. Um, but it's also not forgetting, uh, you know, the lady down the road who relies on Radio Leicester every morning. Great. Okay, Peter, that's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, I usually say if people want to catch up with you, but you, you don't tweet or anything, do you, as far as I could tell? I'm a lurker. <laughs> <laughs> I tend not to because I, I, I don't want to get into trouble. Fair enough. But people can catch up with doctors. It's four days a week at the moment, I think you're saying. Usually would be five, but at the moment, because of all yeah. the issues we've discussed, yeah. four days a week. And just tell us a little bit what's happening in the shows that we're going to be watching over the next couple of weeks. What's coming up? Oh. Info question. <clears throat> thinking about Christmas. See, I, see, I now have to reset my brain <laughs> in terms of what's transmitting. Um, <clears throat> oh, yes. Now, keep an eye on Rob Hollins. Uh, he is not in the best place at the moment, and things are going to take a very dark turn. Uh, and Valerie, well, Lord knows what's going to have to happen to Valerie, but uh, she's going to be an entertaining watch as well. So. Fantastic. Thank you, Peter.
My pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast. Until then, please subscribe, rate and review and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects I'm working on. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.